0: this is Roger Green, host of the Surfing the Next Tsunami podcast. Today, we are offering five conversations from episode 34, our discussion with Stephen Harrison and Maza Nouradine reviewing important drug development presentations and posters from the EASL Congress 2023, plus a WALF episode addressing a similar topic after last year's liver meeting from AASLD. i belatedly joined this episode at the beginning of this conversation, which starts with some lighthearted banter about my birthday. When we return to the business end of the conversation, I ask Mazin Dean, who will have to leave early, to answer my wrap-up question whether she sees what I call a big flashing marker for where the field is heading. Mazin discusses some of the implications of the anticipated upcoming approval for meterome and what that will mean for treatment, drug development, and non-invasive tests. After Mazin departs, Stephen Harrison dives into the phase 2b pembidotide trial in greater detail. When Stephen finishes, Jorn Schottenberg notes that the weight loss is not what you might have expected from a GLP-1 and asks whether this has to be with the GLP-1 to glucagon ratio. Steven notes that there is a relatively high level of glucagon relative to GLP-1 and Pembetatide. That might translate not only into greater endofibrotic activity, but also possibly a lower level of side effects relative to a combination agent with a lower level of glucagon compared to GLP-1. This conversation covers a lot of ground on drug development, analysis of trial results, and the upcoming increases in importance of omics and artificial intelligence. It was a great birthday present for me from some of my favorite surfers, and I hope it's present to you as well. It's quite a lot to digest. very exciting to consider. So sit back, listen, learn, enjoy. And when you're done, join the dialogue in our LinkedIn discussion group.
1: Yarn Schattenberg. Well, let's welcome Roger uh, uh, here for a moment uh, because he's just joined a little late. Uh, Welcome. Roger Green. Thank you, Yarn.
0: I'd love to tell you it's because I've been celebrating my birthday all day, but that's not the reason why. But uh, happy to be here with you. Um...
1: Stephen Harrison.
0: Is it your birthday? Having missed the list. Yeah, it's actually my birthday today. Oh,
1: happy birthday.
0: Thank you. Happy birthday. Happy you. birthday. It's, it's an odometer.
1: We're not going to start singing on the podcast just to keep people online. What's it like crossing the half century mark?
0: Stephen, I don't remember <laughs> that far back, actually. You'd be much better equipped to answer that question than I would be.
1: You know, these two young whippersnappers on the call still have uh, many years to go to even get close to smelling that. And what is a whippersnapper? <laughs> I don't know. That, that, that's not a German term. You're not an American, huh? It's
0: not a German <laughs> idiot, huh? <laughs>
1: Yeah, so at, at any rate, Stephen,
0: um... Sometime in the next two weeks, I want to dedicate an episode to exactly what you're just talking about, which is all the uh, non-invasive and AI issues that, that came out of that conference because there were a ton of them. We've not really gotten to them yet. What I was going to ask you guys to do in the last 10 or 15 minutes was say, okay, big picture, we have all these presentations, we've learned all these things. I think everybody believes it's promising, but we're not sure exactly what it's going to look like. So Mazen, if you have a unique insight or thought, or even any insight or thought you have, is going to be unique because it's yours, about anything you saw in drug development in the uh, easel, and then ultimately the ADA stuff when you got to look at it, that is a big flashing marker for where things are going. I'd love to know what you think.
1: Mazin Nuruddin.
2: Yeah, at a certain point, people were looking at the glass half empty, and many of us kept saying that the glass is not half empty, it's half full. The reason why it's half empty, because we had imperfect standard, which is liver biopsy. Despite that, we did overcome that. And we had two major papers, because of Fermin and Prismeterum, which I'm sure it should go to the New England Journal or the Lancet. And we had the New England Journal paper and a 2B liver biopsy study. And despite all the negatives about liver biopsy, they turned to be positive. I do think they are additional effects beyond deliver biopsy that we need to move to. I think the drugs are showing that will be efficacious, even from investor standpoints that I know they listen to the show. Look at those companies that they did well or they pushed through and how rewardable it was for them. So I think it's just going to get better and better, especially with the approval in Q24. And I'm looking beyond that to one, to find the A1C of NASH, to find the treatment response using NIT which we are doing some work on and three start thinking about combining now. I predict that ASLD will see some uh, combination indications results from some trials that there are ongoing. So it's just gonna get more exciting, stay tuned.
0: Good deal, and with that, thanks for being around. Fight your way through all that Houston traffic, which is really hateful. And uh, Stephen, let's go back to PemVitatide.
1: Hey, thanks Mazen for joining us today. Back to PemV, huh? So the purpose of this particular presentation was to update the field, relative to where PIMV is in their clinical trial that went on to a 24-week extension. So what we presented at AASLD last year was the 12-week data. What you're getting at this meeting was the 24-week data. So this was a 2A trial. And what I mean by that is we don't have liver biopsy. There's no liver biopsy at the beginning and the end, like the Denefonstant trial, which is a phase 2B. So this is a 2A. So what is Pemv? It's a GLP-1 glucagon dual receptor agonist. And it is an injectable. It's given once a week. And in this particular study, there were three different doses of drug, 1.2, 1.8, and 2.4 given once weekly. The 2.4 was given in a four-week titration scheme, whereas the 1.2 was given straight up from day one and the 1.8 was as well. Patients were randomized equally to placebo versus drug. To get into the trial, you had to have a lot of liver fat. PDFFs had to be higher than 10 and interestingly, compared to other trials, one of the issues here was the company didn't want to study more advanced patients in this early phase trial. They just wanted to get a shot on goal of how well this uh, drug may be working on indirect measures of liver cell injury by looking at MRI PDFF change. In fact, that's the primary endpoint, twelve and twenty-four week, and then key changes in CT one or corrected T one, as, as well as body. Weight and ALT. And when you think about the GLP-1s and the GLP-1 glucagons or the GLP-1 gips or the triple Gs, this drug combination really hits on everything you want a NASH drug to do. It can do liver fat content. It can do weight loss. It can do glycemic control. It can do atherogenic lipids. And really, the key is how well it's going to work on histopathology on fibrosis and NASH resolution. If it hits there, now you've got a drug that's hitting on all of the major tenets of what we want a drug to do in NASH. I mentioned earlier, a few minutes ago, that this trial was limiting in what severity of liver patients they wanted to include. So they had to have a fiber scan actually less than 10 and an ALT less than or equal to 75. They did take diabetics, but they had to have an A1C less than nine and a half, which is really kind of standard for this field. Now, uh, when we look straight directly to the primary endpoint, liver fat content reduction at week 24, you see that there is a very nice dose response relationship for the patients having at least a 30% relative reduction. It's 5% of placebo 77% of the 1.2, 92% of the 1.8, and 100% of patients at the 2.4 milligram dose having a 30% relative reduction. Before I go further, let me back up and give you, because I told you this for Denifonstant, what's the relative reduction? Well, for the placebo, 14%. For uh, the low dose, 56%. And for the 1.8 and the 2.4 dose, around 75, 76% relative liver fat content reduction. So just to put that in perspective with Denefonson, you're seeing about a 34% relative liver fat content reduction here with the two higher doses, 75, 76%. More importantly, I think for a drug like this that's moving liver fat content in a big way is what percentage have at least a 50% relative change. Now, remember back to Denifonstant, it was about half of the patients had a 50% reduction. Here, with the top two doses, 84.6, 72.7, having at least a 50% reduction. And then what about those that completely normalize liver fat as defined by less than 5%? None of the placebos, 31% of low dose, 54% of the 1.8, and 45% of the 2.4. And then when you look at CT1 response, when we think about CT1, we're looking for about an 80 millisecond drop. Over time, and that has been shown in some studies to correlate with an improvement in the naffield activity score of around two points. And so the Altimmune team looked at CT1 responder rates, and again, responder was defined as at least an 80 millisecond reduction in CT1. None of the placebos had that 85% of the low dose, 75% of the mid dose, 1.8, and 100% of the high dose. Now, the numbers are small. There's like an N of two to six patients, two to seven patients. So just take that with a grain of salt. But, but overall, there's a very nice reduction in CT1. ALT had a dose response relationship change of around 13 to 15 units per liter over the 24 weeks. Now, remember, these are patients that generally had a low ALT to begin with because it was restricted to 75 on the upper bound. So if you look at those people who had ALTs greater than 30 at baseline, the response rate was actually 17 to 20 unit per liter drop. Now, everybody asks about weight loss. Here, the weight loss was around 5 to 6% relative to placebo at one4 And the weight loss did tend to continue all the way out to the end of treatment at week 24 without a plateau. So uh, very exciting to see continued weight loss and weight loss of at least 5%. There was no increase in heart rate. There was actually some decreases in systolic blood pressure with a couple of the doses as well. And no dramatic changes in serum lipids or glycemic control at this early time point, but there was some signal that HbA1c was beginning to change and a signal that, that maybe there was some impact, at least on triglycerides and, and LDL. So, safe, safety data, looking at that, what you would expect for a GLP-1, there was some GI issues, although generally mild to moderate. And, and not very many actually. Uh, some constipation, some, some diarrhea, no vomiting that was noted and just some, some nausea as well. So in summary, very good liver fat content reduction, drops in liver chemistry tests, CT1. Weight loss looked to be good and not plateaued at the end of treatment. There were no serious or severe adverse events with uh, low rates of adverse events leading to treatment discontinuation at 24 weeks. Uh, there were cardioproductive reductions in blood pressure without meaningful increases in heart rate. And glycemic control is maintained with trends towards improvement in glucose and HbA1c, particularly in those people with diabetes. So anxious to see what happens in the paired liver biopsy trial. That trial is about to get underway here in Q3. So should hopefully enroll quickly. And then we we look forward to the histopathology data. Very exciting. Of course, you got to bring that trial to uh, Europe too, uh, Stephen. Do you, know, you know anybody who wants to, do to be one of the researchers?
0: <laughs> sure.
1: Let's let's revisit the the data. And somebody who is used to uh, look at GLP-1s might say, you know, the weight loss isn't great with this drug. My take of this is uh, NASH is not a disease that's all focused on weight. And the important constellation for those dual agonists is how strongly are those two receptors activated? Maybe you can give us a number. I'm not sure you you have it on the top of your head, but the the ratio of GLP-1 over glucagon receptor activist is is crucial for a side effects, weight loss, but then also the fat receptors reduction is my understanding any thoughts on that i don't remember the exact ratio of gop to glucagon but certainly the gop is dialed down a little bit mainly with the idea being that uh, potentially you can mitigate some of the nausea and the decrease in gastric emptying that presents itself with some of the symptoms that these patients complain of so the glucagon also the thought being that there are plenty of glucagon receptors in the liver there are no gop receptors in the liver. So while semaglutide showed effects on NASH resolution and did not show any impact on fibrosis, some of the the thoughts around that were, well, there lacked a direct effect. With glucagon, there is a direct effect, and it's relatively profound, particularly on liver fat content reduction through its effects on lipolysis and and, and other aspects of lipid metabolism. Um, Histopathology, I think the jury's still out here. I mean, we need to see data in dual and triple agonists on histology, not just NASH, but also fibrosis. But based on the preliminary data, I'm very hopeful that we'll see an impact with a paired liver biopsy study that's forthcoming.
0: Stephen, w- would that make for a generalizable rule that when you take a look at the dual agonists or the trebles when you get there, that the degree to which GLP-1 is dialed up makes it more about diabetes and obesity and the rule to which uh, glucagon is dialed up makes it more about NASH?
1: I mean, I, I think that might be a little oversimplistic. I don't want to downplay the the pharmacokinetics or pharmacodynamics of these dual and triple agonists, I think the jury's still out a bit. If you look back terzepatide, which is a GLP-1 GIP, it does appear to be, at least maybe this is just my perception, does appear to be a little more potent on weight loss and maybe a little better tolerated, although certainly I've had patients that don't tolerate one but the other and vice versa. So how that relates to his histopathology I think it's a little bit of a guessing game because we don't have any biopsy data with terzepatide we don't have any biopsy data with a with a dual or triple agonist right now to my knowledge And now back to Roger We hope you've enjoyed this recording. If you have any questions or
0: comments about the content of this conversation or the entire episode, please put them in the review section of the page from which you downloaded this conversation or send an email to questions at surfingnash.com. Next week, we'll be back with more discussion on major stories from the Easel Congress. Until then, stay safe, surf on, and we'll see you again on the podcast. Bye-bye now.